0: Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am so excited to be joined today by Erica Cobb. Now, Erica is a daytime national talk show co-host for Daily Blast Live, and she's also got a podcast on the Ebony Covering Black America podcast network, Called Come Back with Erica Cobb. Now, Erica's motto is something I really, really love, which is everyone is deserving of the comeback they're willing to earn. And we're going to talk a bit more about that later in our conversation. But first, Erica, welcome to Motivational Mondays.
1: Corey, I am so happy and honored to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. And you know, Um, So not even really on the media game yet, I want to ask you a question. You're from Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. And when did you leave Chicago? How long? Was that your whole life you were there? Yeah. So I left Chicago in 2009.
1: So I was 27
0: when I left. Okay. And the reason why I ask that is because whenever I have the opportunity to ask someone who's from Chicago, To share with me what Chicago means to them, I jump on it because very often Chicago gets this really weird default narrative of like, what about Chicago? And they start throwing all these negatives about, you know, crime and all these things. So I would love for you to share in your words, what is Chicago to you?
1: Um, Chicago's home, plain and simple, i I really appreciate what my ancestors were able to do by um, leaving the South. Uh, a lot of on my father's side, um, who was from Red Springs, North Carolina. Um my, their family came up, went to New Jersey, and then to the Chicago looking for industry jobs during the Great Northern Migration. My mother's side, my grandmother owned a home. And subsequently, my parents owned the Greystone right next door that actually joined those two units together. Mm. So I had a very, um, I'll call it a Michelle Obama upbringing <laughs> um, where <laughs> I was on the West Side. I know Michelle was on, excuse me. Mrs. Obama was on the yeah. <laughs> South side. Yeah. Um, and she really describes in her book, Becoming, about this multi-generational dwelling. And I got so much history, um, so much time with my family. And it was really a village that was my family that surrounded me. So when I think of Chicago, I not only think of you know the beautiful city and the amazing food, but I think of the place where my family found a
0: life. That's wonderful. And that's why I asked that question, because very often, you know, I mean, we're part of the media. So we know how in that environment you can sometimes only get one side of a story. So we try to be fair and balanced, but not always does that happen. And so I want to make sure people know that Chicago is not necessarily the narrative that they continually hear. So thank you for sharing that with
1: me. Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Sure, definitely. Now, to begin with your career, just because we are, of course, a an academic podcast for leadership, I would love to know, before you began your professional start in media, uh, who or what inspired you to pursue a career in broadcast journalism?
1: So I actually started out as a radio girl. And I say that in every definition of the word, because when I was 12 years old, I was grounded for the summer. Uh, my father is uh, is a vet, and he ran our house very kind of militant way, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I had disobeyed one too many times and I was grounded for the summer. So during that time, I listened to radio every day, all day. And then eventually I started to sneak into my parents' room to use their phone on the landline. Yes. Um, and <laughs> call into the radio station. And I knew that summer that I was going to be a radio girl. I told the DJ that I was going to grow up and be on the radio. And when I got to college at about 19 years old, I started at that same company interning at a the, uh, station there.
0: Isn't that funny? Because I think so many of us were sort of bit by either like a TV bug or a radio bug. We have that in common. I used to call the radio station to like hopefully get to do the countdown. You know? yeah. <laughs> they were like, yes, <laughs> they were like pick someone to announce like the number one song. Yeah. And the first time I heard my voice on a radio, girl, you could tell me I wasn't Michael Jackson. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to be on the radio. So I totally, I totally get that. But was it an easy journey then for you to? make that transition though, from the aspiration to actually getting into college to do it? I mean, was there some adversity there?
1: Well, I know this seems to be a common thread in some of your other podcasts, but there is a a beauty to youth and a naivete, uh, so to speak, where you mm-hmm. are just fearless in a way that can breed very effective results. And I was very focused on getting on the radio. Um, I was focused on getting all of my core classes done so that I would be eligible for this internship. But even before my eligibility came about, I started networking. And when I would meet someone who was in that space, I would ask them how I can get into that space. And eventually that turned into me showing up saying that I would just show up at this time. Um, the the rules and laws were a little different. So mm. you could do things like that. Now um, <laughs> people get in a lot of trouble for having free help, so to speak. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but back then I just started showing up. I never stopped showing up and that ended up getting me an official internship and then also a sidekick position. So it was, it was difficult in the aspect of I was, I lived at the radio station, which I did not mind, but it wasn't difficult in the way that we think of difficulties now.
0: Right. And so there's two things going on there. And one, you're right. I mean, I don't want to advocate free labor <laughs> at, in any way. However, I just had a conversation with someone about this a couple of days ago. There's a difference between like an internship, of course, where now there's laws in place where they have to, in many states, they have to pay you for that. But I do encourage young people. If you have to get a portfolio together or a reel together, and there's collaborative opportunities in which your, your pay may be the content mm-hmm. that you walk away with, I can't stress enough how important that is. Like, so I think people, sometimes they put too much stress on like the monetary in the beginning when they need the opportunity. I
1: right? agree with that. That's fair. That's fair. Rare.
0: Yeah. I mean, but again, money is really cute. We, we're not trying to say exactly. to work for free. But um, but also the other thing, though, I hear, though, is the dedication. You put a lot of time in. You said you were already at the radio station. So would you say that you already sort of had a notion in some ways that you had to work hard? Maybe I don't want to say harder than, but because you wanted it so badly, were you going beyond to make sure you shined or sort of how did you approach it?
1: You know, um, my parents, my mother, well, actually, both of my parents were the first in their family to go to college and graduate. And I was there when, you know, I was there, <laughs> like, I was um, a teenager when my mother pursued her EDD to get oh, her doctorate. Wow. I was a teenager when my father decided that he was no longer going to be um, in the finance world for corporate, he was going to go back to school and own his own funeral home so... I saw my parents really doing this building in very real time. So to me, it wasn't ever a sense of if things were possible. It was that if you set a goal and you actively work towards that goal, then all things are possible because I had never seen anything to tell me different.
0: Mm. So
1: for me, it was just about knowing that there's a goal and then actively working towards it each day and what that meant in my My life as a college student was going to the radio station every day. How do I use that and parlay that into the next thing? Well, now I'm also 21 and I'm bartending at the hottest nightclubs in Chicago. Who's coming into those nightclubs? Artists and people who we might have on the radio. Who's making those connections? Mm. Like it was, it kind of became a running joke on when I ended up doing mornings, which was my ultimate goal of life. I thought that that would happen far. Far away. <laughs> it <laughs> happened when I was 24, but it was a running joke that, like, I was, you know, by far the youngest person in the studio, but I was the most connected because I would bartend six nights a week. I would, you know, be at the radio station five days a week. I would do- be in school. So it was really about leveraging all of these different points of contact and my experience at that time.
0: And that's an important note to make as well, because so often the networking component is overlooked. Mm -hmm. We stress that a lot because we're a a leadership honor society. And so we, we, that's one of our pillars to make sure that we're building a community where, you know, you have lifelong connections with people who you can call upon, who knows it could be lifelong professional or just close friends. But I find that is a lacking component. And I wonder if you think, is it even more difficult now because there's a particular generation that's so tied up in technology. That they're not looking up <laughs> enough to notice that. Oh, is that Puffy over there at the bar? <laughs> <I might. laughs> they're too busy like texting. So, I mean, do you find that maybe there's a disconnect with maybe how the the the, the importance that maybe this particular current generation of college aged people might be putting or not putting on uh, the connection aspect.
1: I go back and forth on this one because I do think that interpersonal communication, especially in person, um, is just, it, it's more important than people really give it credit for. However, um, you know, I, you know, I'm a hybrid kid, so to speak. You know, right. I was of what in high school, well, actually, I was in college when the internet really became a thing. And so it's not like I grew up on this technology. So, of course, like I was still writing letters and doing all of those things. When I met uh, someone who was in the industry, I might send them something, you know, in the mail, uh, things like that. But the way that people are really utilizing social media in order to network and build connections in their industry is also extremely valuable and mm-hmm. it's highly effective. What I've learned the most in the past two years um, since lockdown is it's amazing to me now that we back outside. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now I'm meeting people who I made connections with in those two years. And it's the strangest thing because we're hugging, you know, we're embracing, we're so excited to see each other and we're having these full conversations and it'll be like, 20 minutes will go by and someone will say, this is so strange because
0: we've actually never met. <laughs> you know, right, But, but you know. we're already... Exactly, exactly.
1: Exactly. You've laid that foundation. So I think that, you know, social media and technology can be equally as effective. But I do think to solidify relationships, it is important to at least acknowledge that being out in a social setting um, should be a place where you're engaging with other people.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that totally. You're right. It's a balance. So, yes, make sure I'll clear the air. I'm not bashing technology, everyone, (laughs) because I mean, I'm hooked on it too. Like, I have a whole, my whole career depends upon that technology as well. I have to respond fast on text, and I'm on three different podcasts, actually. And so I get it totally. But yeah, I think that we can probably do a little better at making sure that people are skilled in both. And that actually also means an older non traditional student demographic can be a lot better at the technology side too, Mm. because I noticed that's also a problem. Sometimes those two worlds, they don't really go together because both sides are sort of like not really able to communicate. So yeah, we can all do better at that. I do want to ask, moving on to your podcast, which I'm very intrigued by. So your podcast, Come Back with Erica Cobb. I am very, very intrigued by why did you choose Come Back as sort of like the umbrella of which your communications and conversations would take place? So um,
1: in around 2013, I went through a divorce, bankruptcy, unemployment, and it was Mm -hmm. like the one, two, knock out three punch of my life. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And I really, for a long time, I struggled feeling like you know, I had just had these major setbacks that I could never recover from. Mm. And as I started being a little bit more transparent with my testimony, I realized that I kept saying, come back, like come back, just kept, You know, like I'm gonna come back. This is a comeback. Let me think comeback. You know, I'm calling it a comeback was what I (laughs) what I would say. And um, you know, eventually when I started talking about, you know, branding and, you know, starting my own brand, it just was such an all-encompassing concept, the idea of a comeback, because who doesn't love a comeback? who hasn't had a comeback. Um there's so many ways to explore, you know, the journey that we take as humans through that comeback lens. And some people, you know, I get on the podcast and they're like, I don't like to say it was a setback season. It was like a redirection. And mm. I'm like, I appreciate the the way that that's put out there and I do agree that it is a redirection season, but I think we all If we're being honest about it during that redirection season, we do feel in some parts of ourselves that we've been set back in some way, Mm -hmm. especially when we're in it. I think it's easier to say like, oh, that was just a setback season when it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But when it's 10 minutes ago, you're like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm set way back
0: (laughs) than where I was. Yeah. Yeah. You're still feeling it. I mean, it's right there in real time. And I love that being uh, that point being made too, because it reminds me of one of my favorite conversations I've had on Motivational Mondays was with um, Stedman Graham. And I remember he said something to the likes of like how we are not defined by the past and the era, you know, the, the errors of the past, um, if we don't allow ourselves to be, so to speak, right? So we so right. many times get wrapped up in like, the past, And you think that defines who you are. So you're stunting your growth in the future. And it was so powerful when he said that, because I think so many of us are stuck.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. In that spot. I mean, you were going through quite a lot and some people would not make it through that intact right, emotionally. So what is it that drove you? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you said you, you talked yourself into it was going to be a comeback, but there was an inner strength there still. So what do you think you drew that strength from? Uh um, uh, the ancestors. <laughs> like, okay. Because they like, went through something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. You know, I'm very connected when it comes to those who came before me. And I look at, I mentioned that my grandmother, big mama, um, owned her own home in, uh, she, it was 1952. And she owned it outright. I still have the actual physical paperwork of her ledger and all of that. And I think about, you know, all of the sacrifices and all of the things that they did to ensure that, because even at my worst, I still looked around and I was like, this is, I'm so much further than a lot of my ancestors had ever gotten
0: had mm-hmm. even had the chance to, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And I need to really take from my experience and um the resources that I have left. And I have to pull through not only for myself, but for them as well. As well as, you know, I'm the oldest daughter. So I have, you know, my younger brother and younger sister, you know, they're watching me too. So. Failure was never really an option. Although there was a point where I was like, if I, I was walking down the street and I'm like, I feel like I could spontaneously combust and no one will ever know that I was here. Yeah. yeah. And I just felt like in that moment, there were so many negative things coming at me and like negative messages that I had to start to stand up for myself. And when I started to stand up for myself, I just became more emboldened and more more resolved that this isn't the end. It's actually not even the beginning for me. And I've been playing it so small, although other people looked at me like I was doing the most because I was a forward-facing person, you
0: know? Right, right.
1: But I knew like somewhere in my heart that, you know, this is just the beginning and it was important for my house of smoke and mirrors to fall apart so that I could build a much sturdier, more genuine foundation.
0: Mm, that's so important because even if it was something, for example, that you were not able to do on your own, let's say, people are across the world, especially people of color, facing that sort of feeling of... um vulnerability on a day-to-day basis and so many of us don't identify it and then there's some of us who identify it and do nothing about it and there's some of us who get help for for example i think therapy i always promote that if people are having those feelings you know go and see if you can talk to someone but any event that you can resolve it the way you did i think the idea about how you kind of come into your own there is it seems like you made a decision to just sort of reclaim your life, right? Reclaim what you can be and not be defined by others. You mentioned negative things coming at you. I wonder, do you mean like people were actually projecting onto you doubt and then making you feel self-doubt about yourself? What, what did you mean by that?
1: I, I think it was a lot. It was a culmination of a lot of things. Um, you know, I, social media started while I was doing my first morning show in Chicago. And that was when I really learned, and it was my space, that's where I really learned that not only had I gotten this dream job, but I also had to deal with public perception and public mm. views. And yeah. the truth was, a Black woman had never held my space that I was in. Um, not my space. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had never held the role that I was in on morning radio. There hadn't even been another uh, a a woman on the billing with the show that I joined. It was a Heritage Station and a Heritage show, and Mm. a lot of people were not happy that I was there. They felt like, you know, I um, had ruined their favorite show when the show Mm. was canceled. We were all let go together. So I received a lot of the backlash for that Mm. because people felt like I was the denominator, you know, the common thread that ruined the show after 20 years. I had only been there for three. And then I came to Denver and, um, you know, I was getting messages like, just don't say that you were on air in Chicago. You know, it was all very much like we don't want people to think that you're like that you know things like that so
0: <laughs> so the negative chicago stigma reared its ugly head again
1: Well, I think it was more so um, like an industry thing. Like I was coming to a smaller market. And so if I said I was from Chicago, then it would
0: make other people feel some type of way about it. Right. And they will have it out for you. People will all of a sudden, like you have to like watch your back at work because perceptions. right? Yes, (laughs) exactly.
1: So I was used to there being kind of this, you know, peanut gallery coming at me, but shall... (laughs) <laughs> when I <laughs> lost my job and I was like floating from place to place and um, I was still doing an arena hostessing for the Nuggets at that point. Right. So I was still physically out there. There was like a barrage of, oh, how the mighty have fallen. You know, this mm-hmm. idea that I was just like like, finally, she's where she's supposed to be on the bottom, you know, like, it was just the weirdest thing. And I was, you know, at that point in my early 30s. And I know that I was an adult, but I wasn't like, really, you know, to be alone in that space and celebrating the horrible things that were happening in my life. It was a lot. And I Mm. realized, like, if I'm that important, to other people to really need to make sure that, cause I'm down, like I'm super down. So if you feel like you need to visit downtown and kick me while I'm there, (laughs) then there must be something that I am supposed to give and um, and supposed to do. And it really just motivated me. I didn't have anything to lose. Mm. So I was back to that, you know, 12 to 18 year old girl who's like, well, fine. I'm just going to go do it because I did it once. I'm going to do it again. And I have just as little to lose as when I was 18.
0: (laughs) And I guess lastly, I would ask you if you had one bit of advice for young college students and men and women, young adults in general, who just kind of venturing out in the world for the first time post-college, trying to make their way in the world, what piece of advice would you give them?
1: Oh man, that's a big question. (laughs) I'm going to go back to be the best version of yourself with no rules, no playbook. As long as you are the best version of yourself and amplifying the gifts that you've either picked up and if honed in your life or gifts that have been given to you by whatever higher power you believe in, it really will be your guide. And I think that we need to learn to trust ourselves and our intuition and the talents that we possess to really help guide our way. Because if it weren't for that, I would not be in the place where I am in today.
0: Well said and wonderful words of wisdom from Erica Cobb co-host of Daily Blast Live and also the uh, Come Back with Erica Cobb podcast that is now being featured, I guess, through it's the Ebony Covering Black America podcast network, of course. And the podcast is called Come Back with Erica Cobb. So thanks for being here today, Erica. I really appreciate it. We really, really enjoyed having you on Motivational Mondays. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.